0: As you can tell, I've been on holidays for a few weeks. And so, pretty relaxed. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty good time to be alive. Uh, Julie and I were on holidays and we went um, to Port Elliot for a week and just enjoyed Port Elliot. Uh, it's just a great place to walk. And we did a lot of walking and talking and uh, just sitting inside, reading and watching stuff and, and just enjoying uh, a break, which was fantastic. And I mentioned last week that um, when we were out walking and talking one day in Portelia, we were walking past different gardens, and in a few gardens there was artificial lawn. And the conversation came up, and this is no offence to anyone with artificial lawn. I'm not judging you at all, at all. But the conversation came up is like, isn't it interesting that people are satisfied with a substitute? Rather than the real thing, that in reality, as as much as the work it takes to keep a lawn, ask Steve about that. His lawn is immaculate, and he spends hours out there doing stuff. He'll tell you all about it if you want to hear. But uh, he and, and it takes. But the the beauty and the benefit of a real lawn over an artificial lawn is, uh, in my opinion. There's no comparison. But we we accept an artificial lawn because it's convenient, because it's easy, because it saves us time. And that's fine if that's the situation you're in. But there's a lot of things in life that we are happy for a substitute rather than the real thing. Can anyone think of some other things that we might substitute for the real thing? Anyone got any ideas? Any thoughts? Artificial sweetener. Artificial sweetener. Amen. <laughs> now, artificial sweetener is not the same as sugar, isn't that right? It just does not hit the spot at all. Yeah. Good one, Steve. And, fake, flat, fake plants. Yeah, fake plants. You know, we have some beautiful plants here. They're real. But out in the foyer, we have some fake ones that some people don't like here. <laughs> and uh, I won't mention any names, Benito, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, he wants to get rid of them. But almond milk. (coughs) Don't let's get on that one. (coughs) The problem is, it's not milk. It's almond juice. Milk comes from mammals, not from almonds or oats or things like that or soy. It's not milk. It's juice. Is that right? Amen. Preach it. What about one a little bit more serious? Some people are happy to substitute real friends for online friends and to live their life online rather than to enjoy the company of real people. Isn't that true? And sadly, it's happening more and more. I guess the thing I want to talk about today is that when Jesus entered this world, he made it very clear that the life we were experiencing before him was a substitute for the real life God had planned for us and that God wants us to have. And the scripture I want to share with you in this new series, it's not working, is from John 10, 7 to 10, and many of you would know this where Jesus said to them, and this is after he talked about being the good shepherd. He said to them, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And this is the verse I want to focus on in this new series we're doing. And it says, then he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive today and it's life transforming. I pray that today as I share what you've put on my heart, that it would transform lives in this place. It would transform my life as well as everyone here. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at these scriptures in a couple of other translations. The Amplified Bible says it this way, The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life, that they may have and enjoy life, and have it in abundance. In other words, to the full till it overflows. I want you to think about that as I share the word today, until it overflows. And the message Bible, Eugene Peterson, puts it like this: A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever. Dreamed of. See, Jesus makes it very clear that life without God is not real life. It's a substitute for the real thing, and He is simply saying in this passage that there are two ways to do life. If you do life according to the world's way or to the way everyone else does it, then He talks about a thief coming, and destroying, and killing, and and ruining that life. But he says, if you seek after God's life, you will receive the true and abundant life. The truth is, the world's way will rob, kill, and destroy your soul. But Jesus offers us life, and life more abundantly. And Jesus explains to us in this passage that he is the door to this kind of life, that he is the one who comes to give life not to take life away. Whereas if you choose to do life without God, he is explaining that if you choose that way, then it's only going to result in pain and suffering and ultimately death and destruction. Life without God, as I've said, is only a substitute for the life that Jesus is offering. Now sadly, many of us, Choose the world's way rather than God's way. Now, I don't mean that in a judgmental way, but I mean it in the fact that even though we find Jesus and we discover Jesus and we say, Jesus, I want your life, but there is a pull in us often to keep going back to our old way of life or living according to its ways rather than living in abundant life in the life that Jesus offers. You see, one of the traps of the world and the way the world thinks is that there's this idea that there's always more to have. Anyone discovered that? That this this feeling that, and it started way back in the garden when Eve was tempted and the the tempter said to Eve, you know, don't you realise God is hiding something from you? that he's holding something back that because he doesn't want you to be like him so he's he's actually keeping something away from you and so what what happened is that he's going oh what if that's true and maybe i could he doesn't want us to be like him so yeah i that's not i want more i, I this must be more and this idea of more has, has gone through the world since time began that that since sin entered the world, that we want more. We're searching for more. That every what we have is not enough, and you see this everywhere in in advertising. They're trying to sell you that there's more for you to have. That that what you have, and so we think, oh, if only uh, I'm not happy in my career. So if only I get another job, then there, then I'll ha- I'll be happy. Or maybe I'm not happy in my marriage. So if only I get another give up on this one and get another partner, then I might be happy. Or I'm not happy in my my family and friends and my relationship, so I'll look elsewhere for my satisfaction. But sadly, what we discover when we live with that philosophy and that mentality or that way of life is that we once we get what we want, it's not long before we want more again, that we feel empty. And it's because That's not the real life God designed us to live. There's a really sad story about a man named Howard Hughes. Anyone remember Howard Hughes? A few of the oldies would, maybe not so many of the young. But Howard Hughes was a billionaire in the 30s and 40s. And he was the Jeff Bezos, you know, the Mark Zuckerberg, who else is there, Elon Musk, Bill Gates of the world at that time. He was loaded. He inherited wealth and he built on that wealth because he wanted more. He just wanted more. And the story goes that once he had established a massive um, empire with billions and billions of dollars, that wasn't enough for him. And what he wanted is he wanted fame. So what he did is he broke into the Hollywood scene and started to make films and even starred in some because he wanted more. But he found out that wasn't enough. And the the story tells us that he went on to, that he wanted more to life and he wanted more thrills. So what he did is he built the fastest ever plane at that time and he flew that. And he discovered that, oh, that's great, but I want more. I want more power. I want more. And so he actually started to get involved in politics. And history tells us that he actually... um, dealt political favours with two US presidents that became his puppets at that time, where he used them to gain power. But it still wasn't enough for him. The sad thing, history shows us, that as this man got older, he had everything the world could give him. But he became emaciated and colourless. His fingernails grew until they were grotesque, curling, long fingernails. He had rotting black teeth and tumours and and needle marks all down his arm because of a drug addiction that he had. And that's all because Howard Hughes believed in the myth of more, that I want, I need more, I want more. And sadly, he died as a billionaire junkie, really, and basically insane by all reasonable standards. That's what Jesus is talking about, a thief who comes to destroy and kill. He sells you this lie that there's more, that there's more. But when, but when we accept God, acknowledging him as our door to real life, abundant life, acknowledging that with him there is nothing else we need, that is when he gives us abundant life. And what is abundant life? Basically, the way I would describe it is it's God's way of life. It's God's way of doing things. If you look at the original language, this word abundant, one of the ways it can be translated is beyond what is necessary. So if you think of everything that is necessary in your life, I need food, I need a roof over my head, I need this, I need that. Well, what God gives you is beyond that. It's not measured by what we have here. It's be measured as something beyond what we know. Another way they describe it is superabundant. Now, that doesn't mean lots and lots of stuff. Superabundant is like supernatural. It's an abundance that is beyond our ability to even fathom or understand. And the, one, the way I love it described as an excessively superior life. That what Jesus wants to give us is an excessively superior life to what we know here. That's what God, Jesus, is offering us when he says, I want to give them life and life more abundantly. Now let me explain this because if we understand what this looks like, we need to understand firstly that Jesus is not promising us stuff. I've been in church for a long time, grew up from the age of five, and I've heard lots of people preach on abundant life. And sadly, I've heard lots of people preach on the fact that God wants to bless you with stuff. He wants to get you a new car. He wants to get you a new house. He wants to get you a new wife. I don't know what else they promised. But, but they promised stuff. that If you come to Jesus, your life will be full of stuff that's not what Jesus is talking about. To to simply put it as simple as I can, the life that Jesus is offering us is the life that he has. Do you get that? The life that Jesus offers us is the life that he has. Think of it this way. If I was walking along and there was someone who had passed out and I did my first aid on them and realized they weren't breathing and that then I who have life will then administer life to them and do first do CPR and mouth to mouth and hopefully they would come back to life. But if I was unconscious on the ground and not breathing, could I administer life to that person? I couldn't, could I? You need to have life to give life. And what Jesus is telling us is that he is offering us a life that we have never known, an excessively superior life. And the only way he can do that is because he has that life in him to give. So if we want to know what this life looks like, as simple as I can say it, we need to look at Jesus. We need to see the type of life he lived when he was here on earth. And that's the type of life he wants to give us, a life that is full of God. A life that does good to the world around it. A life that blesses those around it. But not a life that is for necessarily my benefit, but is the benefit for others. Jesus is the best example of an excessively superior life. And so over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to share what that looks like. And today, I'm going to share about the fact that the life that Jesus gives us is rest over striving. Jesus wants to give you rest over that whole idea of striving. As I said, from that day when sin entered the world in the garden, humankind has been striving Basically striving to be the God of our own lives. That's what we've been striving for. As I said, like Howard Hughes, we've been striving for more. But the problem is once we attain more, it's not enough and we strive for even more. And we, part of striving is that, that idea of it's our responsibility to make things happen. I have to make things happen. You see, many in this world believe that that is what life is all about. It's all about achievement and reaching goals. Now, I'm not saying goals aren't right, but if that is your pure motivation of life, you've missed the abundant life that Jesus offers you. Sadly, even in the church, we have been seduced by by this idea of striving like anyone else. We've been seduced by the idea that we need to fill buildings with people, and initially, that might be good in that that you know people come in and God moves and amazing things happen. But what we've tended to do is we've flipped it and forgot that people came because of what God was doing in us, and instead we focused on how can we get people in the building, rather than focusing on what God is doing in us. Does that make sense? Because the ultimate priority of the church is to teach people how to really know God and how to trust him in all things. That's what we exist for. It's not about the masses of people that come in. Because who knows, popularity comes and goes like wind. I mean the wind in the air, not any other sort of wind. <laughs> you know, this, this temptation to strive was not something Jesus didn't know or experience. The story is told of when he was tempted in Matthew 4, and he was in, in the wilderness, and he'd fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was tempted by the enemy, and the enemy came to him and said, obviously saw he was hungry, and thought and so the spirit of this age, the, the way of thinking today, this, he planted the seed in Jesus and said, why don't, you're the son of God, why don't you turn those stones into bread and feed yourself, because you're hungry. Now, in reality, in the world's way of thinking, that makes sense. If you have the ability to turn stones to bread, why wouldn't you turn them to bread if you were hungry? Isn't that right? The world will tell you that. Use what you have to get what you need. But Jesus understood that he had excessively superior life. And so at that moment, he answered with a scripture, which brings God's life into the picture And shows us what an excessively superior life looks like. When he said to the enemy, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus is simply reminding himself and the enemy that everything he needs comes from God. He doesn't need to make things happen. He doesn't need to turn stones to bread when he's hungry, but what he does need is to rest in the knowledge that God will sustain him in all things no matter what. This abundant life that Jesus offers us is exactly that, is a relationship with God where we can rest in the knowledge that God is with us and that God is working for us no matter what life throws at us. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 46 verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Phil Yancey translates this verse by saying that what God is saying to us is, take a holiday from being God of your own life and let me lead you and guide you to where you need to go. For some of us here, you need to hear this today. Because you've been struggling and you've been striving, thinking you're doing the right thing. But God says, hey, be still. Take a holiday from trying to be God of your own life and let me have the steering wheel. Let me come and take control because I'm the one who is working for you. I'm the one who is here with you. I'm the one you can rest in and know true peace and security. You see, our job is not to strive and make things happen, but our job is to rest in Him and what He has done for us. You see, it's from that place of rest that we can hear God's voice and then obey Him and do what He asks us to do. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't work hard. Obviously, where the Bible also talks about not growing weary and doing good. We work hard, but we work hard doing what God asks us to do out of relationship with him. And it doesn't have to be a chore. When we work for God, it's a joy, as it says of Jesus in Hebrews. He, he counted it all joy to even go to the cross because he was doing what God asked him to do. So we don't get joy from what we attain, and what we get, we get joy from doing what God asks us to do. I'm going to ask Dan to share a funny little story. Come up, Dan. A little story about something that happened to him on Wednesday night at Pop-Up. And, uh, yeah, I'll get him to share it because when he shared it with me after Pop-Up, we were having a coffee, you just saw the joy on his face that God would use him to bless someone else. So... Hey, church. <laughs> um, yeah, pop up um, Wednesday night. Um, I come in and sit at the kids' table, hang out and stuff. Ended up playing basketball with the kids outside. And um, this guy comes up to me um, and he's all happy and he's like, Hey, how you going, mate? Um, yeah, when I saw you come in, made me feel so much better. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Why's that? He's like, Oh, well, I had all my. Sleeves down, I was covering up all my tattoos. (laughs) And then you walked in. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, sweet. (laughs) Exactly. He's like, I just lift my shirt up and on I went. So he was, yeah, excited that, you know, seeing me made him feel comfortable to be here and to be part of the Port Church at Pop-Up. Yeah. I don't know if you understand that, like, This guy, like Dan didn't mention but they they compared tattoos and he thought Dan's were from when he was in prison. <laughs> but but he did Dan told him no, they're just crappy tattoos. They're, not that good. <laughs> they're when I was a rock star doing my thing. But uh but this guy said, Oh I got mine in jail and they shared about it. But the reality is like Dan for whatever reason, not that I would justify it, but maybe thinks, oh, this is part of my old life and whatever else. But God used something about Dan to bless someone else and it brought great joy to Dan. Isn't that right? That's the the way God wants it to work. Now, Jesus invites us into this place of rest and he, as we all know and have read many times, He says to us, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Eugene Peterson translates this as, come to me, all you who are burnt out and weary from religion, from working hard to try to please God, working hard to try to be right before God. And that's what religion is. It's a works program. And Jesus says, no, come to me, all you who are, have been trying and slogging it out in your own strength, and let me give you rest. That he wants to exchange your striving for rest. And simply, as simply as I can put it, rest is all about relationship with him. That's what rest is. It's about having a relationship with him. This, this excessively superior life that Jesus is offering us can only be experienced from a place of relationship. And as we know, Jesus has done everything that is required to make relationship possible. As I just explained, we don't have to come and lay down sacrifices anymore because he paid the price once and for all for our sin. He did it and it's done, it's finished once and for all. And now we can enter God's throne room boldly because of what Jesus has done for us. So he's done it all. Why? So that we can find rest for our souls. That we can stop striving Stop trying to prove ourselves. Stop trying to make things happen. God wants to give you rest. And he does it through having a relationship with him. We will only ever know a place of rest when we make time for God in our lives. When we make time to have a relationship with him. Jesus explained it this way in John 15. I am the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and i in him he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing when we abide in the vine jesus what that simply means is that we are communing with him we are connecting with him we are having relationship with him who knows that a branch doesn't need to strive to be a branch. All a branch needs to do is connect to the trunk or to the vine and the life of the vine naturally flows through the, the branch and ultimately produces fruit. It's not an effort. All it needs to do is stay connected. If it becomes unconnected, then it's in trouble. And this is what Jesus wants us to understand, is that when we make time for Jesus in our life, we rest in him and we allow him to do the work through us. Our job is just to stay close to him. Our job is to make time for him in our life. Our job is to involve him in our life, to welcome him into everything that we do. And we can do that because of what he has done. This is what Jesus is telling us to do. Let the fruit look after itself. You just need to connect to me. And then what happens naturally is when a branch is connected to the vine, when we're connected to Jesus, the fruit naturally happens. It doesn't have to try to produce fruit. It just produces it. Now, the incredible thing is that the fruit is the proof of a healthy tree. Now, what's that mean is that the fruit of a tree is the proof that it has life. And so the fruit of our lives proves the life of Jesus in us. Do you get that? Our fruit proves the life of Jesus in us. Now, what is the fruit? Because we get confused about what the fruit is. Sometimes we think about externals and, and physical things. So we think fruit is souls getting saved. We think fruit is money in the bank. We think fruit is a big house or a nice fancy car. We think that's fruit. But if you look at the illustration of the vine and the branches, then the fruit is the life of the vine. A fruit, a vine can only produce the fruit that it has the life in it to produce. So an apple tree can only produce apples. Is that right? Unless you're a weirdo who grafts other things into it and want to create some other thing. But that's another story. But an orange tree is designed to produce oranges. If we're designed to connect to Jesus, then it makes sense that the fruit of our life is Jesus' life through us. And Jesus explains what this is really clearly in Galatians 5. Talking about walking in the Spirit. Another thing describing a, a relationship with God and having a relationship with God. When we walk in the Spirit, what are the fruits? The fruit, it says here, is but the fruit of the Spirit, the life of Jesus in us, is love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Patience. What is the fruit that we produce when when we're connected to Jesus and he flows through us? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. When we're connected to Jesus and his life is flowing through us, what do we produce? Oh, self-control. There's one that we might be able to control ourselves. It doesn't even say that Jesus is controlling us, but we learn to control ourselves. When Jesus fills us and flows through us, what's the fruit we produce? All these things. And then the most amazing thing it says is, Again, against such things there is no law. Get that into you. Do we have lots of laws in our world? These, these days we have abundance of laws. But guess what? Those laws mean nothing when we're controlled by the Spirit of God, when He is flowing through us and we're producing His fruit. It doesn't matter what laws the government tell us. We have God's fruit in us or flowing out of us. So the government tells us this and that. We respond not with, oh, rah, crazy government, let's go protest and do the crazy things. We respond with love. Joy. It doesn't matter what the government does to me. I have the joy of God in me because I'm doing what he wants. We respond with peace. God's in control of my situation, not a COVID virus, not a vaccination. Patience. I'll see this out. We'll get through this with God and us. Kindness. Well, if the government wants to do something bad by me, I'm going to do something good for them. It doesn't matter what people do to me. The fruit of the Spirit flows through me and out of me. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. We don't respond with anger. We respond with love and kindness and gent- gentleness and self-control, holding ourselves back. Because it doesn't matter what happens around us. We, the fruit of the Spirit is what we live by. See, our our job is just to connect with God and allow him to flow through us. And when we do that, then all these things are added to us. Does that excite you, church? This is the kind of life the church Jesus wants the church to have. Jesus describes the church as his body. Then it makes sense that his body should have... His life, isn't that right? Not someone else's life, not the enemy's life, not the, the tempter's life, not the world's life, Jesus' life. So let me throw this one at you guys. Think of how amazing it would be if the, the church put all its energy and effort into knowing God, being connected to God, and hearing from God, And allowing God's life to flow through us as a branch, as a part of his body. And so that we naturally produce the fruits of the spirit. That we put all our energy to doing that. Rather than doing stuff like having fancy stage shows and whatever else and la la la. As good as they might be, that's not the aim, the primary aim. The primary aim is to make sure we're connected to God that we're communing with him, that we're resting in him and relying on him, that not, we're not trying to make things happen in our own strength, But we're saying, God, without you, I can do nothing. See, when a church is doing that, then it will be full of love. When a church's aim is just to connect with God and know God and, and trust God in all things, that church will be full of joy. It will be full of peace. It'll be full of patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And dare I say, could anything hold a church back that is like that? Who wouldn't want to be a part of a church like that? Nothing could limit what it could do. It's not about a social media presence. It's not about the number of people in this building. It's about resting in him trusting him you see this abundant life jesus offers us is the is our ability to rest in him and allow his fruit to flourish in our lives when we experience this type of excessively superior life our lives and the lives of others will be blessed it just happens but the aim and the point is first and foremost is to know him and to be with him and to be connected to him and to stay close to him and let everything else flow from that. Let's pray. I really just feel before we pray for people here, that after preaching a message like this, that if there were people here that don't have a relationship with Jesus, that you're not connected to him, you've never invited him into your life, you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, I'd love to give people an opportunity to do that today because it's, it's the beginning. As I read that early scripture, he is the door to life. And if you want to go through that door, he's willing and he's opened it for you so you can have life and life to the full. So if you're like that in this place, while everyone bows their heads and close their closes their eyes, if you say, I want that life, I need that life, I'm sick and tired of striving and doing my own thing and and trying it just keep coming up empty, if that's you. You say, I want Jesus in my life. I'm not going to ask you to do anything elaborate, but I will ask you while everyone else has got their eyes closed to just make eye contact with me because I would love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you even after the service and, and pray you through inviting Jesus into your life. But if that's you in this place, just give me a look as I look across the room and I'd love to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll pray with you after and come and stand with you. But I know the majority of us here have a relationship with Jesus. And sadly, sometimes we get lured into the world's way of doing stuff. We strive for more and more. We get caught up in striving. We get caught up in trying to make things happen. And maybe today is a, a moment where you can readjust and refocus and put your energy into what really matters, your relationship with Jesus. So if you're in that place today and you go, I need to refocus. I need to connect with God again, make time for God again in my life. Because I've been caught up in all the wrong stuff. I've just been caught up in life and been distracted. If that's you in this place, we want to stand together and and pray and, and open our hearts to God again. But if that's you in this place, what I'd ask you to do, and it's a big step, but it's a it's a step towards God. I just ask you to stand wherever you are. If you say, I want to make Jesus my number one focus and everything that I have. So if that's you in this place, why don't you stand? If you want to choose rest over striving, just stand wherever you are. Say, God, I choose to rest in you. I'm Giving up on striving, I need to rest. I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. You're my vine, I'm your branch. I connect with you. Just stand wherever you are. We're going to stand together. Thank you, Jesus. Just reach your hands out to him right now. Reach out. Just begin to say, God, I give you my all. Forgive me for striving, God. Forgive me for trying to make things happen. God, I just want to rest in you and what you've done for me. I don't want to do anything you don't want me to do. I just want to live for you. Begin to tell him. Begin to reconnect. Thank you, God. Lord God, I pray for every person here. I pray for the courage to stand and say, God, I want you. I want you over everything else, and God, I just pray right now that you would come and let them know rest. And as they connect to you, I pray that the fruits of the Spirit would flow through and out of their life, Lord God. That love and joy and peace would become their mandate, Lord God. That would be what would characterize them and and show them, show the world around them of who really fills their life. Lord God, we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.